0: I'm gonna go into a, a little bit of a, a, a teaching series because I I was wondering and saying, Lord, how, what do you want me to talk about um, for the next couple of weeks? And uh, it's it's always a something which I it, I anguish over, and I kind of like jump around and look at ideas and think about, and and uh, I've I've landed on something which I just felt that this is this is the direction God would have us go. And for me, just some of the words of those songs. We were singing this morning, and as Lindsay was sharing this morning uh, from her heart, I just felt, yes, that that's a, that's a confirmation for me that what I'm going to talk about is, is the right thing this morning. Just by the way, the worship was really awesome this morning. Thank you so much. Aaron, Also, thank you. You guys are great. Isabel, waiting for Isabel to lead a worship set. She's great. <laughs> you need to tell her she's great. Okay, uh, silent killers. Uh, you know, doctors... Regularly warn us about silent killers, don't they? Uh, they'll they'll um, talk about diseases that we could pick up that have few warning signs, and if those diseases are left unchecked, they can they can land up taking a life. They can kill us, and uh, that's why they always say it's so important to to get to get yourself checked and go get yourself you know go through a screening or whatever on a regular basis, uh, get your medical checkup. Um, I'm getting a little older now, and so if you're also over 50, you probably get that thing through the mail, it's quite unpleasant, but for bowel, that bowel cancer screening, and you've got to put the thing in the, thing. it's not nice, and send it back. Wait, if you're not over 50, you'll be getting that soon. Um, yeah, but, but they do that because, because if, if it's left unchecked, it, can, it can, be, can be really bad, it can be a silent killer. And there, there's a lot of these things, if you don't spot them, doctors will tell you, you know, and it, it can be from like high blood pressure to diabetes, you know, heart disease, stress. Stress is a, is a big one, and, and different kinds of cancers. But I don't want to talk about physical things this morning. I want to talk about the area of our, our spiritual makeup. You know, um, there are silent killers that we can carry in the area of our emotions, um, in the area of our, of our thinking. And uh, they can be silent killers of our souls, things that can negatively affect our spiritual health. And so I want to talk about some of these things over the next couple of weeks, but I'm not going to focus on them. I'm going to focus more on God's answer to these things. You know, recently I have been doing some, uh, I was asked to just help do some mentoring work um, with uh, Shalom House. And Shalom House is a drug rehabilitation facility, for those of you who don't know. They're based out in the Swan Valley. And it's been like, it's really been in my face, you know. It's been a long time since I've engaged at some of the stuff people go through. But a lot of those stories that um, the men that I've sat down with and spoken to have, have come out of a a place of despair, and they've looked for ways to kind of deal with that. And and it's 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 so sad to see the absolute devastation that addiction can cause. And for me, the great thing about the guys that I've interacted with is and for most for the people in that facility, the great thing is that those those people got to a place where they where they said, I can't do this anymore. I can't go down this path. It's just taking me my life is gonna come to an end. And so out of their despair they've reached out for help. And for me, I think that's, that's such an awesome thing that they've done that. But many of their stories, when you listen to them and you listen to their family backgrounds and the stuff that's gone on, it's, a lot of those stories are stories of despair. And another story that I heard recently that just really nailed me um, was by a family in, in our church here who told me about a family that they know, friends of theirs, whose young daughter, teenage daughter, her own life a couple of weeks ago and I was like what gets a person to that space what's going on on the inside despair really is a terrible thing and it results very often in things like drug overdoses it results in suicide you know you alcohol- related deaths even when you see these family murders it's like horrific. But a lot of that comes from a place of despair. And these days, there are a lot of people out there that are not doing so well. There is a state of hopelessness behind many uh, front doors. In your street, in my street, in the suburbs we live in, there are many, many people who are struggling with depression, many people who have had major depressive episodes. There are a lot of people who are anxious. There's an anxiety that keeps welling up on them because they don't know how to deal with stuff. There's stuff coming their way. There's stuff going on in the world. There are, there are people who are suffering from abuse at a level that we're told is never, you know, like especially when it comes to domestic abuse, they haven't seen the levels of this stuff happening like they're seeing it now. And The government has got this big push on to try and address that, but also the government is putting money into NGOs to help with mental health, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's good, and I I think it's even better when people reach out for help, because as I look around, I see the lives of many, many people not being in a good place, and despair is a feeling that life will get worse for you, not better. And you know something? As Christians, we're not immune. We're not immune from those feelings of despair or hopelessness. And sometimes the enemy can get a foothold in our lives, and his sole goal is to take us down in any way that he can. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just talk about God's answer for despair and, and hopelessness. And quite simply, God's answer is Jesus. His answer is Jesus. But we're going we're gonna to dive into that, okay? Are you with me? All right? You're all awake? Okay. (laughs) If you want to go to sleep, that's okay. It's comfortable in here. Let's quickly pray. Father, if anybody does go to sleep, just nudge them. And Lord, we just pray in the next couple of moments that by the power of your Spirit, you're going to speak to our hearts and into our minds this morning. Speak to us in a very deep way, I pray. Encourage us, Lord, to look to the things that you would have us look to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture over here. This is from 1 Peter 1, 1, and I'm going to read from verse 3 through to 6. I'm going to focus on verse 3, but um, I I want to use this little passage to set the scene this morning. So this is Peter. Peter writes these words. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, To the Father, to our Heavenly Father, praise, all praise to our Heavenly Father. And Peter writes, and he says, In our Father's great mercy... He has given us this opportunity. He's given us this invitation. He's given us this new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, so praise be to the Father because He's such a merciful, merciful God. He has given us this opportunity. He's given us this this invitation, this new life. And there's something to look forward to. There's something to grasp Hold of over here. Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from from the dead, we can look forward to this inheritance. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And then Peter says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This inheritance is for you. For anyone who is in Christ. Anyone who, uh, through faith, are shielded by God's power. So if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, if you've given your life to Him, if you're living for Him, if you're saying, God, I want to be like you, I want to be Christ-like. Holiness is something that's important to me. If you're shielded by, the, by God's power, uh, uh, Peter says this inheritance is there for you. And it's going to be made available uh, with the coming salvation that will be revealed in the last time. So the story's not over. The story is heading towards an end point. And so Peter says, in all of this, greatly, greatly rejoice. Be happy. He says, although for a little while, you may have had some stuff go down in your life. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, when Peter wrote this, he was writing to uh, the, the early church, the early Christians. And he wrote to several different places to that early church. And if you know anything about church history, you'll know that those early Christians did not have it easy. Those early Christians really had to endure and persevere in their faith. Everyone was against them. They faced an extremely negative reaction from the people around them. This Christian faith was new. This is, this, what, do you, what is this all about? And people weren't happy with what they, with the way. They weren't happy with, with the fact that they weren't acknowledging the Roman emperor like they should have. They were talking about this, this Messiah, this Jesus. They were not happy about it. And so Christians were, were, were treated like scum. They were seen to be like the scum of the earth. They were called antisocial. They were even viewed as atheists because they didn't worship all of the gods. Right? All the Romans had a whole lot of gods, and how can you not worship all the gods? They just worshipped the one God. And they were viewed by their neighbors as, as being uh, disloyal. And so horrendous things happened to them. If you ever go and read up on the Emperor Nero, what he did to the early Christians was horrific. They used to make fun of it. You know, Did you see the pictures of that AFL game, if you did watch it last night, with all the people in the stadium? Have you ever been to the Colosseum in Italy? They would they would have thousands of people gather and then they would throw these Christians to be eaten by wild animals. Nero was was he um, he even used Christians as human tortures at some of the parties that he would throw. Horrendous. And and so society would look at these early Christians and they would think, oh, how can you be how can you be like this? They would see them as being disloyal. And you know the thing and the thing is in every time and in every age. Good people are, are kind of defined by the rest of society. The rest of society look at you and, and they kind of judge you to the degree to which you agree with their values. So if you're in agreement with the way society views things, the values of society, then you're in. The degree to which you conform or to which your children conform, then, you know, if, if, if you're conforming to that, then, then you're accepted. Because the values of society, well, that's everybody, that's normal. How can you not agree with this? That's normal. We're living in an age now where increasingly we're having to make choices around these things because society is going, well, this is is normal. You need to accept it. And the Roman Empire back then did what all societies do. The Roman Empire used every social control that they could to bring Christians into line. So they abused Christians. They tortured them. They locked them up. Um, they labeled them, you name it. They shamed them, they insulted them, they marginalized them. They did it in a whole lot of different ways. One of the big things that they used to do is they would put economic pressure on those early Christians. People would get fired from their job, lose their employment because they were a Christian. If you had a business as a Christian, they would boycott your business. And like I said, they would physically abuse Christians. And, in, and back then it was legal in the case of women and slaves. You had no rights. And, and for me, when I look at what was back then and the situation in the old Roman Empire, to me, a lot of it is not unlike today. In Australia, the Christian faith is viewed negatively by many people. You'll know this. In many of the universities, amongst many of the academics, the Christian faith is like, come on, seriously, are you a Christian? Seriously, you believe in all of that stuff? it's viewed negatively. At government, at, at all levels of government, there are people who go, like, we don't have time for this nonsense. In many large corporate structures, you're not even allowed to really speak about these things. I worked for an accounting firm not long ago, two years spent with that accounting firm. As a Christian, you weren't really allowed to talk about Scripture and stuff. We just, that's a no-go area. We don't do that at work. So funny to me because the, the organisation I worked for had a Muslim guy who came over on a secondment, and they converted a an old storage room into a prayer room. Seriously, and everybody could use the nobody used the prayer room except the Muslim guy for his prayers, but the Christian faith, we don't go there. And when you think of. Um, the kind of professional services, especially in the areas of psychology and and sociology and psychiatry and anthropology, all of those those areas. Christian faith is viewed negatively in many, many circles. And so, as Christians, how are we going to push through? How are we going to endure? How are we going to persevere? How does Peter encourage these Christians here to keep holding on to their faith? How does Peter encourage these Christians not to throw in the towel, not to give in to despair? Because we could very easily reach a place of despair if your job is on the line, or if there's stuff going on in your world, and people are thinking, are you mad? How do you endure? How do you, how do you hold on? Well, Peter encourages Christians over here to hope, to hope. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope, he says. You have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You have a living hope. And I want us us to jump down to verse 13. Peter goes on. You can go and read this for yourself. But verse 13, Peter says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... So otherwise, in other words, Peter's saying, hey, you Christians, get thinking clearly. Think clearly. A mind that's alert and fully sober, and he says, set your hope. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Set your hope on that. Peter's saying, don't set your hope on the things of this world. He's saying, don't set your hope on emotional things. Don't become emotional about about having hope. He says, have a firm hope. Set your hope. In other words, what he's saying is, 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 is use your will to make a decision about your hope. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing this morning. Use your will to make a decision about your hope. Because hope, Christian hope, is a decision to believe God for a future based on what God has done in the past. It's to believe God for a future based on what God has worked in the past. So what does hope say? Hope says, I have a future. Hope says, blessing is coming to me. Hope says, what God has started, He's going to complete. What God has promised, He will fulfill. If you've got that kind of hope, that's the hope that's going to get you through those difficult times. That's the hope that's going to get you through hard times. It's this kind of hope that's going to get you through those moments when you want to throw in the towel, in those moments that you want to give up. And so often we go through life and we have these difficulties. And whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family relationships, whether it's in a job, whether it's at your school or your place of study, or even if it's life itself, Peter's saying you've got to have a hope that's going to get you through. Hope is, is what's going to help you. Because if you've got hope, you've, you believe that you've got a good future for yourself, don't you? If you've got hope, something good's coming your way. And what Peter's saying over here is if you've made Jesus the leader of your life, you have a good future ahead. You, you getting it? let me let me try and illustrate it for you. This, this is the kind of hope, this is how we should feel about our Christian hope. Let's say there are two people, Jack and Jill, okay? And Jack and Jill apply for a job w- with a company. It's the same job, they're going to do the same kind of work, um, they're going to get paid the same wage, and, uh, and they apply for the job, and they get the job. So, Jack's got, got, got this job, Jill's got this job, it's the same job. Um. They get paid the same. The only difference is that Jill is promised a bonus of $100,000 at the end of year one written into her contract. Poor Jack ain't got nothing. Jack's contract doesn't say anything about a bonus. He's not promised anything. And so they go to, go to work. But the job is miserable. The job's awful. All day long, Jack and Jill are screamed at by their clients. Get the job done. Why are you doing that? The, the boss is on the, their back. He's encouraging them to cut corners. He just wants the job done. It's just, it's just an awful workplace. The co-workers are, are really negative. The job just stinks. And Jack turns to Jill one day and he says to Jill, he says, uh, uh, I think I'm going to look for another job. This place is terrible. This place is horrible. I'm not I'm not—I'm not going to make it another month. And Jill looks at Jack and says, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's so bad. I mean, I'm going to be here for at least another year. What's the difference between Jack and Jill? It's the expectation of the future, isn't it? It's the expectation of the future. Jill has hope because Jill believes that some good things are coming to her, and so she's going to hang in there. Jack doesn't have a hope. He's got nothing to hang on to, and so he gives up. He quits. Listen, folk, everything rests on your expectation of the future. And Peter is saying over here that there is good reason to have hope. Peter is saying that there's something amazing in store for us. And he calls this Christian hope a living hope. He says, you have a living hope. It's not a false hope. This is not a fake hope. It's not an unrealistic hope. A false hope is never going to get you through the difficult times. Peter says what's going to get you through is, is having a living hope. That's what's really going to get you through, a living hope. The world is full of false hopes, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about? Fake hopes, unrealistic hopes? You know what I'm talking about, right? Turn on the TV in the morning. Eat the cereal, you'll lose weight. What a load of nonsense, eh? Hey? Invest in crypto. Go on to social. Invest in crypto. You'll make, a, you'll make a fortune. You'll get rich. It's a false hope. I was with, with Debbie in Woolworths in, uh, yesterday afternoon. She was in the makeup section getting some makeup stuff. I was looking at all the makers, and, and I saw Revlon. And you know, Charles Revlon, the founder of Revlon, um, he, he said he, he, he didn't sell makeup to women. He said he sold women hope. Seriously, that's so, so that's what makeup is all about, isn't it? <laughs> if you wear this, you'll look like a model. <laughs> if you wear this, you know, the man of your dreams is going to come and pick you up on his big white horse and carry you off into the sunset. <laughs> Listen to me. In the same way, immature Christianity nurtures false hope. I've been a Christian for many years now, and in my interactions with people of faith, it's surprising at how many people think like God's like a magic genie, like God's just going to make everything well and good, that you're not going to suffer. You're a good person. Why would God want to punish you? God's going to protect you from tragedy and pain. And I'm not saying that God doesn't work in those ways, but sometimes that's all, all people's belief and understanding of God is. And it's an immature Christianity. And I'll tell you something, there are false teachers out there who will always nurture false hopes, unrealistic hopes. Because if you believe, if you believe for example, that God, God, God's, God promised you a happy marriage, right? And then you get married and you land up and going, uh, this is not, not a happy marriage. Or maybe you're still single and it hasn't happened for you. Or maybe you got married and, and, you, and you're unhappy in the marriage and you're thinking, but God said I'm going to have, have a happy marriage. Where is that going to get you? It's going to get you to a place of despair because you're going, well, God, why haven't you done it? And so you're in danger of giving up on the marriage. You're in danger of walking out. You're in danger of maybe giving up on God and on faith because God didn't keep His promise in your understanding. If we believe that God is a God who's just going to promise health and promise wealth, and that's all He's there for, you know, that God has promised that that, that He loves you and He cares for you so much that you're never going to get sick or a family member's never going to get sick or there's never going to be like a terrible accident or something. But then a loved one gets sick and you're thinking, but God, God promised all these things. One of two things are going to happen. You're either going to sink into a place of denial and pretend that this isn't really happening, which will make you like a liar, or you're going to be shattered because you believe that God did not do what He promised to do. And that's what happens to a lot of people who get hooked into prosperity teaching. They begin to lie about reality. I'm oh, I'm really well. I'm really when they're actually pretty darn sick. I'm well. Or everything's great, everything's great, when actually it's not. Or your faith is shattered because you think that God was going to come through and He didn't come through. He didn't promise what you thought He should. He didn't live up to the promise that you thought He had promised you. Folk, we need to make sure that our mental checklist of what God has promised is accurate. We need to make sure that our understanding of God and our faith in Jesus Christ is is backed up, that our hope in Him is backed up by a proper interpretation of the Bible. And Peter does not say that what will cause us to get through the difficult times or the difficult seasons is a false hope or a fake hope. Peter says we have a living hope. There's a lot of fake hope around these days. And a lot of these unrealistic hopes lead people to a place of despair. One of the big things that I come into contact with are the people who put their hope in politicians, especially with all this stuff going, the conspiracy theories and all the rest of it. And they're putting their hope in these, these mouthpieces, these, these politicians, these leaders of this political party or these political spokespersons, and, 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 and all of their promises. Well, that's the person to follow. That's the person to support. That's the person to back, because they're going to make a change. They're going to do something. It's a false hope. Politicians, are they're a bunch of liars, really, really and truly. They're not going to be able to come through for you. They offer false hopes. Our hope lies in a decision to believe God for a better future based on what God has done in the past. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. Our hope is in something further down the line where every wrong is going to be made right that one day we're going to be with Jesus, that one day we're going to be reunited with our friends and our family who left and went ahead of us in Christ. This is what Peter's trying to get through to us. He's saying this Christian hope is a living hope. And he says not only is it a living hope, it's a certain hope. This is a sure hope. It's not an uncertain hope, it's a certain hope. It's not like I hope the vaccine works. I hope it's gonna protect me. It's a new medicine. I hope it I hope it does its job. You know, or I wrote that test and I think I did. I hope I I hope I get a B. I did some work for it. I hope I hope I get a B. It's not like, you know, I applied for this job and I hope I get the job. Well, there are a lot of other good applicants, but I hope I hope I get the job. That's not a certain hope. Christian hope isn't a hope like that blows around like a kite in the wind, depending on the circumstances. This is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says about our hope. He says it's an anchor. Hebrews 6. He says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This hope is firm and secure. It's an anchor for the soul based on what God has done for us in the past. And what has God done for us in the past? The specific thing that God has done. For us in the past, past is what gives rise to this Christian hope, this living hope, this certain hope. And that is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. This is what Peter says in in this verse, verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Peter. And, and it should change everything for us. Let me tell you something. Peter was the guy who, 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 who sold Jesus out. Not didn't sold Jesus out, but he denied him. Yeah? He, he, he was like, no, no, I, I don't know him. Who's the dude? Uh, no, 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 I, I've never been with him. He was the guy who Jesus had to come and say, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, feed my sheep. But all of those disciples, after the death of Jesus on that cross, what did they do? Did they go out and start telling people about Jesus? Did they go and say, Praise the Lord, you've got to hear about Jesus? They they, they turned tail and ran. They were petrified. They thought they were going to be locked up and thrown into prison. It wasn't until they met the resurrected Jesus that it changed everything for them. They were no longer afraid. They were no longer afraid to be locked up and thrown in prison. In fact, when they were thrown in prison, they began to sing. Thank you, Lord. They began to pray. They began to tell other prisoners about Jesus. They dispersed into different parts of the world. Thomas went to India. Peter landed up in Rome. And Peter was so for Jesus that when he died being crucified, he, Peter was like, you're not going to crucify me the way you crucified Jesus. And he was crucified upside down. How do do you move from being a, a complete scaredy cat, thinking what is going to happen next, to not having any regard? The resurrection changed everything for Peter, changed everything for that early church. And how many of us these days are holding on to that hope, holding on to the fact that Jesus was resurrected? Peter called the resurrection a living hope. Let me tell you what our hope is about, folk. The resurrection of Jesus offers the promise of more to come. Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. And what God started through the person of Jesus, when he raised Jesus from the dead, he is going to do for every single person who embraces Jesus by faith. Jesus has gone before us. He is the forerunner of things to come. And what we have now as followers of Jesus, we only only have in part. Every promise in Scripture we only have in part because of our faith in Jesus. But every promise in here we will have fully when Jesus returns. And so I can have hope in any situation because of this one truth. Jesus, who was crucified for my sins, rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, and the resurrection began a chain reaction that's going to result in me and every other follower of Jesus also being resurrected from the dead. And too many Christians lose hope because they don't understand the teaching of the New Testament. They think, I'll die and I'll go to heaven. That's not the end of the story. God says, there's more to come. And if we've set our will to that, if we've determined and we, 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 we've, we've um, set our hope, then the things of the world and the troubles and the issues and the things that, 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 we, that come our way are not going to take us down because we have this hope. We're not going to be looking to the things of the world. We're not going to be looking to man or people because the Scripture teaches us that the things of this world are going to pass away. It's all going to pass away. And what God's saying here through Peter, I believe, is that we need to raise our gaze. And far too many of us are far too focused on this little life that we have right now. And what Peter's saying is, raise your gaze. Look ahead. Look ahead. There's more to come. Eternal life is to come. Life beyond life after death. The resurrected life. And that's what we need to remember. The human life that you have now, I don't know how long you're going to live for. 70 years. 80 years, 100 years max probably. If you live for 100 years, it's really, really short when you think of it in the the, the perspective of of eternity. (laughs) When you look at it in the perspective of the hope that God offers to anyone who makes a choice to believe in Jesus. And this is a sure hope. It's a hope that, that can't be taken away from you. If you're building your hopes on something that can be taken from you, that's not a sure hope. I, I know a lot of folk, and they, you know where they put their hope? They put their hope in themselves. They think that, they think that they're like the captains of the world. They base their hope on, on what, you know, what they, they put their mind to or what they've achieved in the past. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if that's where your hope is at some point, you're going to go through a crisis in life and you're not going to be able to get through it on your own. You are going to get older. You're probably going to have health concerns as you grow older. You may have family problems. You may have to go through some relational issues. You are going to come to a point in life where you're going to grieve. And life in this world is hard. And if your hope is in yourself, life is going to teach you that. Your own cleverness, your own wits, your own determination, your own grit or your own hard work is going to fail when you inevitably encounter a problem that you can't fix. If you're putting your hope in some financial plan, currency can lose its value, share markets can crash. And I'm not saying don't invest in those things and think about those things, but I'm saying don't put your hope in that stuff. If you're building your hope on another person, if your hope is in somebody in your family, you can lose loved ones. You can be betrayed by a close friend. Everything in this world is always under threat. And you and I, we need a hope that can't be taken from us. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. He says, Jesus says, no, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. And so what Jesus is saying is the only sensible way to live your life is to put your hope in what you can't lose. And Peter says, we need to set our hope in something that is beyond this world. We need to put our hope in something that is beyond this life. Who of you are going to get old? Some of you are not so sure. Most of you think you'll probably clock on a few more years, eh? Uh, Will you one day take your final breath? Yep, we all will. The thing is, your spirit will still be conscious after you take that last breath. And what Peter's saying over here is a time is going to come for those who are in Christ to receive a resurrected body ready for the new creation. And when you think about us being resurrected, it, it's a lot. Of, it boggles our minds. It sounds really crazy. Crazy, but true. These guys held on to this. They said, this is your hope. This is the hope that you have. And this is what Peter's trying to get through to us. Why would you not want to have a certain hope, have a sure hope? Why would you not want to raise your gaze? Why would you get so taken down by the things of this world and the circumstances of this world and let that affect you and let that take you to a place of hopelessness or a place of despair? Peter's saying, no, raise your gaze. Put your hope in something that is alive and living and real and sure. There's a lot of craziness in this world, and there's a lot of misfortune that can come our way. There's a lot of misfortune that can come the way of people that we love. Do you have a sustaining hope? Can you say in your life that you, that you have a certain hope? That you're not going to let despair get the better of you because of what God has done through Jesus Christ? Do you have a hope that you can't lose? Is your hope placed solidly in Jesus Christ or are you traveling through every day taken up, concerned by the distractions and the worries and the anxieties of all of this stuff and it's affecting you on the inside because you're never coming back to remind yourself of the hope that you have? Do you have an immature Christian faith? Were you blaming God for your life, blaming blaming Him for your circumstances? Have you come to the scripture and read the scripture and said, this is the story? This is the storyline. I was thinking about this last night, and I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. I didn't sleep well last night, but you know what was going through my mind? I was thinking about people who lived in the in between, the in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Book of Malachi and Matthew. They said it was like four hundred years where there was really nothing. They probably had leaders. But the main prophets and the minor prophets, they'd gone. And I was thinking about a family, a Jewish family, sitting around the table, you know, wondering about their hope. Maybe it's a Friday night, Shabbat, it's Saturday tomorrow, it's the Sabbath. We love God, we do the things of God, we follow His way. And so we break the bread and we pass the wine around as a Jewish family. Why do we do that? Because we remember uh, the Passover. We remember that the angel of death passed over those homes. And the blood on the lintels meant that their firstborn child was not going to be harmed. And they remember God's promises and God's faithfulness as they left Egypt. And you can imagine a little Jewish boy looking up at his dad and saying, Dad, why do we do this? Why do we always remember God's faithfulness? Why do we this. Well, where's it all going? And, and you can imagine the Jewish dad looking at him and saying, I know it seems like right now we don't know where it's all heading to, but the prophets told us, the prophets told us, Messiah is going to come. Messiah is going to come. And maybe that little boy grew up and his father passed on and maybe he was an old man and he was telling his grandchildren the same thing. Messiah is going to come. Messiah is going to come. Somewhere in between that in-between land, and I was thinking about that last night, I was thinking, that's me. Because I'm right here right now, and what God has done in the past, and I'm the resurrection of Jesus, and now I've got to look to the future. How long is it going to take for Jesus to come back? For those Jewish people, it happened. Some stuff happened. A girl got pregnant. She was betrothed to a man. Uh, They hadn't consummated the marriage. I can imagine the parents going, "Uh, you've overstepped the mark, Joseph. Joseph's going, I know nothing about it. I don't want anything to do with it. God had to intervene and speak through an angel. A bunch of guys who study the stars in the sky suddenly see this one star. We've never seen this before. We're making all of our charts and things. Some amazing stuff happens, and the Messiah comes. The Scripture teaches us that when Jesus comes back, the whole world will know about it. But I'm one of those guys who probably were like those families in the in-between, the two testaments. I'm like, Lord, when? When? And what Peter's saying over here is, hold on to your hope, because it's your hope that's going to get through. You will be resurrected. You will find yourself in the kingdom of God. You will find yourself in the new creation. Don't take your eye off the prize. Don't take your eye off the mark. Far too many Christians are doing that. And they're getting caught up in the little life. And God's saying, your hope is beyond this. Raise your gaze. Raise your gaze, because that's what will get you through. If you're reminding yourself every day, one day I'm going to be with God. One day I will have a resurrected body. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a resurrected body? Hey, Bert, yeah, can you imagine? I mean, Jesus, he was there and then he he wasn't there. Yeah. Scary, dude. I'm, i I want to be like Jesus. Just like here, and then I'm not here. If I've got a wound, I'll show you. Touch my wound, touch my wound. There you go. Amazing stuff. Can you imagine what the new creation will be like? Where there'll be no pain, no sorrow, no sickness? Can you imagine what's in store for us? Well, we all just like. Yeah, whatever, get on with it, I've had enough already, what's for lunch? (laughs) I'm going to leave it with you. I want to encourage you, never forget about the living hope that you have, never forget about the sure hope that you have, never forget about why you actually follow Jesus, because he's got something ahead, he's got something in store. And he says, the way for you to find that place is to find your life in him. Have your life hidden in him. If your life's not hidden in him, there's another side to that story. Folk, our walk with God is not a religious one. We don't come here to tick a box. We don't come to do the right thing. No, we come to have a living, alive relationship with a God who is alive. And he wants to tell you that you can be used by him with this life that you have. You can touch other people's lives. There are many, many people around you, I guarantee you, might be sitting next to you at work, might be sitting next to you in a school classroom. There are many people around who are in a place of despair and you can be used to bring hope. And that's what we've gotta be thinking about. But if we don't have that hope, there's half a chance that you're gonna tell anybody about Jesus, you're gonna back off I'm not saying a word. Maybe they'll see it in my actions. Do you know how many Christians go to that argument? A lot. I'll just be a good person, they'll see I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. But then you need to open your mouth when God gives you the opportunity. And in fact, you need to be asking God, "Give me an opportunity." Because he will. <laughs> Let's close our eyes. Maybe there's somebody here today who's never really thought about a resurrected life. Maybe you're here today and you've never really said, well, I'm, I'm going to make a choice to step into that. It's quite easy, actually. Um, it's just a, an authentic, genuine, heartfelt decision to say, today I put my trust in Jesus. And it's quite easy. You just pray a prayer like, along the lines of, Lord, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for the life that I can have in you, and I, I accept that you are God, and I accept your gift of salvation, and today I choose, I choose, I choose, I set my mind to this willfully to put my trust in Jesus, because I want Jesus to be my Lord, I want him to be my leader, my master, and my mentor. And then you just say something along the lines of God, I realize that I'm not perfect and I'm not holy. And I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. I'm sorry for the times that I've gone down the wrong path. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you for your forgiveness. I'm not going to run away from you anymore. I'm not going to ignore you. Lord, would you come and be my friend? would you come and be my hope? It's as simple as that. Probably the most important commitment you could ever make. Why would you not want to make a commitment like that? So Father, I just bring everyone here this morning who've come in and found their way here. And I pray, God, that we would not be the kind of people who get caught up in hopelessness, who get caught up in despair. I pray, God, that in our hearts, we would begin to have a deeper understanding of who you are. We would begin to have a deeper understanding of the life that you've got in store for us and this hope that we have in you. We begin to have an understanding of why we actually follow Jesus. And we would begin to say, Lord, I'm looking forward to that new creation. In the meantime, I'm going to be like Paul. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. What was Paul saying? He was saying, I'm going to live this life for God. I'm going to live this life for Jesus. And when my time is done, I just know it's going to get better and better. God, may we have that re-energized in our hearts and in our spirits. Holy Spirit, would you come and pour life into every soul here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.